Hello and welcome to the Let It Ride podcast coming at you on a Tuesday afternoon. Week one of the NFL season wrapped up last night with Monday Night Football. The New York Jets stunning the Buffalo Bills with a game-winning punt return in overtime to win that game 22-16. to That, of course, coming after the devastating injury to Aaron Rodgers on his opening drive as a New York Jet uh, this much-anticipated season lasting just one drive for Aaron Rodgers, one pass attempt, unfortunately, going out after being sacked on the opening drive, and his season and possibly his career uh, now over. I know everybody was anticipating his season with the Jets, all the buildup on hard knocks, and just a just a very devastating blow to the NFL as a whole, whether you're rooting for or against Aaron Rodgers. Uh, nobody wanted to see his season end this way. Uh, we will see if he's able to come back next year. Uh, a 40-year-old man coming back from a ruptured Achilles um, is a very tall task, but if there's anybody that can do it, uh, I wouldn't put it past Aaron Rodgers. But um, wishing him a speedy recovery, and um, we may have seen the last of him on an NFL football field. We will touch on that game uh, when we get to where I got it wrong. We are going to break down week one of the NFL season, and we're going to do it by going through the picks that I gave out on the last podcast, and man, oh man, uh, we got that last game wrong, Bills minus two and a half, but we got a lot more games right, uh, ended up going 12 and five with our picks in week one, so very happy with the way that turned out, 12 and six if you count the teaser of the week, uh, last year the teaser of the week was very good to us, unfortunately this year, uh, starting out 0 and one, the Steelers not helping us out, but let's put our best foot forward and start with where I got it right. The NFL season got off to a great start if you tailed my picks for opening night. I gave out the Lions plus five. I also gave out the under in that game. And if you listen to the podcast, I told you that the Lions would try to control time of possession in that game, lean on the run, try to keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. And that was, in fact, their game plan. They played an ugly game. Um, It took a pick six. It took a lot of luck, a lot of drop passes. But the Lions did eventually get there. The under was never in doubt the entire way. Uh, The Chiefs very well may have covered this game, if not for that pick six. And you hear pick six, you're like, oh, Patrick Mahomes threw a bad pass. No, it was a, a pass straight off of his receiver's hands into the defender's hands, house for a pick six. Um, The Chiefs had a chance to kick a field goal to win this game, down 20-21 to late. Uh, Another drop pass, Patrick Mahomes hits Kadarius Toney, dead in the hands, in field goal range. He drops it. Uh, The Chiefs never get the ball back after after that, and it's over. They end up going for the fourth and 25 later on in that drive, not getting it, and uh, the game was over there. And... Patrick Mahomes misses Travis Kelsey. That is the uh, the headline here. He had no reliable receivers there. Like I said, Kadarius Toney dropping that ball late in the game when they could have won it. And Patrick Mahomes did everything that he possibly could. So I'm not going to throw any shade at the Chiefs here. I know a lot of people are already trying to bury them being 0-1. A lot of the narrative this week was, oh, the Bengals, Bills, and Chiefs all 0-1. All these, you know, the, the giants of the AFC are all looking down. I think all three should bounce back in week two, but uh, as of now, they're all 0-1. But if you followed our picks, uh, you went 2-0 on opening night. I gave out the Falcons minus 3.5, and and man, oh man, that run game. Tyler Algier and B. John Robinson. It doesn't matter that Desmond Ritter uh, did not look great in his first game uh, of the season. He 
did not look like a functioning NFL quarterback. But with that run game, it might not matter. You might remember Arthur Smith down in Tennessee getting a one seed with the Tennessee Titans, leaning on Derrick Henry and just getting serviceable games from Ryan Tannehill. You could see him do a similar thing, and now he has two dynamic running backs in the backfield. I know that nobody is Derrick Henry, but he's got two good ones there uh, with Algier and B. John. I look for them to continue that. That that revamped defense looked really good. That Panthers offense, that offensive line is really, really bad. And Bryce Young, it's shocking how small he looks when he's out on the field. Uh, his NFL career might end up okay, but just looking at him, looking at at his stature, I'm sure, I mean, he's dealt with it his entire life. So he's it's not like it's something he can't overcome, but it is shocking to see uh, just how small he looks out there. Uh, but I am not high on the Panthers' prospects this year. I will likely be picking against them again this week later on in the podcast. I gave out the Browns plus two and a half, and the Browns just continued their dominance over the Bengals. Like I said, this Bengals offensive line cannot hold up to Miles Garrett. They keep trying to put this Band-Aid over this offensive line. And they go, oh, you know, Joe Burrow's great. He'll be fine. He's not fine. They have not spent the draft capital on the offensive line. I've said this on the last podcast. They've had 11 picks in the top 100 since drafting Joe Burrow. They spent one of those picks on the offensive line. They keep trying to get these free agent signings in, trying to put a Band-Aid over an axe wound here, and it's just not working. I think the Bengals will be fine. I think they'll bounce back. I mean, they started off 0-2 last year and still bounced back and won the division. I think you see them do something similar, maybe grab a wild card. Could still win that division. It's still entirely up for grabs. The Steelers did not look good. The Ravens and Browns both had devastating injuries um, in their games. But the Browns win this game. Unfortunately, they lose their starting right tackle. Uh, Deshaun Watson did not look great, but it didn't matter. This defense looked really good. Um, I'm not sure what we can take away from this game as far as projecting for the season. It's natural everybody overreacts to week one anyway, but the Browns have just owned this matchup. They've now won seven of the last eight games against the Bengals. So this is a bad matchup for the Bengals and a good matchup for the Browns. So I'm not sure that I'm willing to come away from this and say, oh, the Browns are definitely going to be the better team than the Bengals this year. I just think head-to-head, this is a really bad matchup for the Bengals. I gave out the over 45 in the Colts-Jags game, and just like I said, this Jags offense is high-powered, but their secondary is bad. Anthony Richardson in his first start able to move the ball up and down the field on them, and this game was a lot closer than the final score uh, would indicate. It's a three-point game late in the third quarter, the Jags end up winning it by 10. They stretch the lead to 10 late. Uh, the Colts had a chance to cut it to one score uh, late in the game. Anthony Richardson coming out with a minor injury. Garner Minshew trying to punch it in at the end. But uh, a game that was close to the final score indicated and went well over the total of 45. So that was a winner for us. I gave out the Ravens minus 10. And th- this might be the one of the worst double-digit wins in the history of the league just because the Ravens didn't look great doing it. They were playing a really bad team and just devastated with injuries. They lose Tyler Linderbaum. They they lose Ronnie Stanley and J.K. Dobbins. And J.K. Dobbins is gone for the season. So just devastating news for the Ravens. This is a team that's been decimated with injuries the last two seasons. And uh, it looks like that trend is continuing already in week one. But Zay Flowers looks good, man. Uh, Lamar Jackson finally has a true number one receiver. Zay Flowers looks fantastic. Uh, Lamar was looking for him early and often. I expect that to continue through the season. I think this Ravens offense could be pretty dynamic, even with uh, even w- with losing the offensive lineman and losing J.K. Dobbins. This Ravens team has shown they could plug anybody back there. 
as far as running backs goes, they still have Justice Hill. They still have Gus Edwards, very serviceable running backs. And of course, Lamar Jackson, you know, one of the best runners in the league. So I think this Ravens offense will be fine, but uh, those injuries do not bode well for them moving forward. I gave out the under 45 in the Bucks vikings game. Now, if you would ask me to pick a winner in this game, I would have picked the Vikings. And I said, I think the Vikings win this game, but I was not willing to lay the points and the line reflected it. The, the line just stunk and it wouldn't move. It was sitting right there around Vikings minus five and a half, minus six. And people were pouring money on the Vikings and the line wasn't moving. Uh, the, the books knew something was up there and they were right. Uh, so if you follow me, the under 45 was the play there. This Bucks defense is still really, really good. Uh, they're going to play a ball control type offense, short passes and runs. That's what they did. Uh, kept the Vikings offense on the sideline as much as they could. Trusted that defense in this game went well under the total. I gave out the Packers plus one, and I was the most proud of this play. Uh, just because the line stunk and I still stuck with it. Uh, the, I was like, there's no reason the Packers should be underdogs in this game. And I couldn't tell myself. I said, man, is this just too much Bears hype or do the books know something here? And it turned out it was just too much Bears hype. The Bears have not won a game since October 24th of last season. So before Halloween, almost a full calendar year since the Chicago Bears have won a game. They've gotten all this hype because of Justin Fields, because of the, the big trade that netted them DJ Moore. But it's not resulting in wins on the field. They haven't fixed this defense. They haven't fixed this offensive line. Yes, they got Justin Fields, a dynamic number one wide receiver, but they didn't fix the things that were really wrong with this team. And it's going to take them a couple of drafts. And uh, the way that front office is going in Chicago, I'm not sure that Justin Fields will ever realize his true potential. I gave out the Eagles minus four, which uh, was a winner, but my main play for that was the under 45, which ended up being a push. Now, this total went down to 43 and a half, but I always I always play my lines as I give them out. So I will take the push on that one. If the line had gone the other way and made me a loser, I would have taken that as well. But we'll take the push here uh, at 45. And this game really looked like it was going to go well under this total. The Eagles started out this game, uh, their defense got the ball rolling with the defensive touchdown. But like I said, man, this Patriots defense was a sneaky bad matchup for Philadelphia and they showed it this Philadelphia offense did not look great a lot of the narrative coming into the season was that people expected the Eagles offense to stay just as good as it was but expected a step back from the defense and I kind of saw it going the other way I thought that you would see the offense take the step back I didn't think that they would have be able to recreate what they had last year I think the league has has tape on them but defense is something that it's it's more tangible. It's more year to year. You can you can build on that. It's it's less luck based, and uh, that proved to be right. I think this Eagles defense is going to continue to be really good, but I don't think this offense is going to be as dynamic as it was last year. I'm going to be likely playing a lot of unders in their games until the books adjust up. Uh, at least to what to what I think I'm seeing. I gave out the over 51 in the Dolphins-Chargers game. I also gave out the Dolphins plus three. Both of those were winners. And man, oh man, this was the game of the week. Tua looked fantastic. Tyreek Hill looking like the best wide receiver in this game. They could not cover this dude. He was wide open all over the field. I didn't think it was possible. Tyreek Hill looks better than he ever has. I know he's approaching age 30. You expect a speedster to start slowing down. He shows no signs of that. He's getting better as a route runner, uh, this Miami Dolphins offense is 
absolutely dynamic speed all over the place. On the other side, the Chargers offense looked really good too with Kellen Moore calling plays, but yet again, another Chargers choke job at the end, an intentional grounding after it looked like the Dolphins might have left the door open, missing an extra point uh, when they after they scored. They missed an extra point that would have taken the lead to three. It stayed at two. The Chargers got the ball back, only needing a field goal to win the game, and a classic Chargers fashion. They choke away the game yet again. I don't know what it is. The Chargers have been like this since the Philip Rivers, Ladanian, Tomlinson days. They just always found ways to lose games. I don't know what it is with that franchise. They just uh, seem to be snake bit. But this was the game of the week. I don't know if I'm going to buy into the Tua MVP hype yet. In fact, if you go to FanDuel or DraftKings right now, Tua is the favorite to be the MVP. I think I'm going to pump the brakes on that, but uh, this offense definitely looks dynamic. I gave gave out the under 44 in the Raiders-Broncos game, and I'm going to continue to play these unders until Russell Wilson proves me wrong. I think this guy is absolutely cooked. I don't think Sean Payton can save him. His numbers look okay, but he was just dinking and dunking. He, like, if you look at his average depth of target, it was one of the lowest in the league this week. Uh, to his credit, it seems like Sean Payton knows this. Actually, he started the season uh, trying trying to recreate the surprise onside kick that led him to a Super Bowl victory uh, about a decade ago. Um, it looked like they recovered that onside kick, but just touched it just just inches before the line, so it was uh, nullified. And actually, if you look at that, it probably lost them the game because the Raiders scored a touchdown on that drive and they ended up winning the game by one point. Uh, good for Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, not a lot of people expecting things out of the Raiders and Jimmy Garoppolo this year, but him and Josh McDaniels get a win in their first game in Las Vegas together. Good for them. Uh, it's against the lowly Broncos. I expect both of these teams to be pretty bad moving forward. This was the game that I probably paid the least attention to, so I don't have too much more uh, to say on it. Uh, Jimmy G outmitted Russell Wilson. <laughs> I guess that's the way that we believe it. And my last winner of the week, we saved the best for last. We're going to put the icing on the cake. How about them Cowboys? Holy cow, this defense looks absolutely incredible. And I don't want to hear, oh, well, it was against the Giants. That's an NFL team out there. They got shut out. The Cowboys defense, seven sacks of Daniel Jones in this game. They give up just 63 yards passing when you factor in all of the lost yardage due to sacks. Forced three turnovers. Trevon Diggs, a new skill set. Who knew? Everyone said, oh, he's a he's an interception merchant. He gives up big plays. Punching two balls out. Uh, Deron Bland with a pick six. A blocked field goal returned for a touchdown, kicking off the scoring in this one. This was just a dominant performance in this game. And those seven sacks don't do justice to how well this Cowboys pass rush played. Daniel Jones had no chance. I'm not going to sit here and say that Daniel Jones is a good quarterback, but I think he's getting a little bit uh, too harshly criticized. Yes, he did not play well. I don't know what he was supposed to do. The Giants have no receivers. Like I said, these two outside corners, Javon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore, just shut things down for the Cowboys on defense. These no-name receivers could not get open. You have Darren Waller over the middle, but guess what? J. Ron Curse is one of the best safeties in the league at covering tight ends, and that pass rush is just able to tee off on Daniel Jones. That was absolutely nothing that he could have done in this game. It's just a terrible matchup. I think a lot of teams are going to have this problem when they face this Dallas Cowboys defense. If you want to nitpick, you could say the offense didn't look great, but guess what? 
It's Mike McCarthy's first time calling plays with Dak Prescott at the helm. It's going to take him some time to gel. Guess what gives you time to gel? Your defense playing like that and giving you kind of a free game to just sit back and, oh, okay, we really don't have to do much. I was so happy with this game. I watched every second of it. It was a 40-point blowout. I thought, oh, I'll go to bed early. I couldn't turn it off. I just had to keep watching this Dallas Cowboys defense. Even when the backups came in, uh, they were still getting after Daniel Jones, who inexplicably stayed in the game until there was about two minutes left. Uh, my favorite game of the week, obviously. How about them Cowboys? 40 to nothing. Um, I'm not happy about the Aaron Rodgers injury, but circumstances give us Daniel Jones and Zach Wilson in our first two games of the year, and I think we're going to tee off on him next week as well. Uh, that is going to do it, though, for Where I Got It Right. Let's move on to sadder things with Where I Got It Wrong. You can't win them all, but we came pretty close this week, 12-5. and five with our picks. Pretty happy with that. 12 and 6 if you count the teaser of the week. Uh, that was, like I said, really good to us last year, but uh, starting out 0 and 1, we'll look to get that back on track later in the podcast. I started out with the Saints-Titans over. I really thought that these offenses kind of would exploit each other's defensive weakness, and I was partially right. Uh, these teams settled for a lot of field goals. Uh, field goals are the enemy of overs, and these teams both settled for a lot of field goals. This game had a chance uh, to go over. It was I'm looking at a possibility of a 19-19 overtime game, but Mike Vrabel, one of my favorite coaches in the league, inexplicably kicks a field goal down four with like three minutes left in the game, like, dude. And they never got the ball back again after that. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Why, like, the, the game is over right there. That was just an inexplicably bad decision. Uh, from a head coach. Maybe you sit here and say he just didn't trust Ryan Tannehill. Well, then he shouldn't be your starting quarterback. You have two guys that you've drafted in the last two drafts. Put one of them behind center. If you don't trust your quarterback enough to go for a fourth and short late in the game, when you're down four, settling for a field goal, that's just a absolutely moronic decision. And I can't believe that Mike Rabel made it because he's usually a very good head coach. My biggest miss of the week, I'm going to wave the white flag on this one. I was dead wrong about the Steelers, about the 49ers. I gave out the Steelers plus two and a half. Uh, I'm, I keep fading Brock Purdy. I keep saying I don't think he's that good, and he keeps going out and playing well. And I still don't think he is a very talented quarterback, but I think he knows exactly what he's supposed to do when he's out there. He gets the ball to these playmakers. Doesn't put a lot of zip on it, but he gets it there. He does what he's supposed to do. This 49ers defense looks just as good as it was last year, even with the departure of D'Amico Ryans. This is my biggest miss. I was dead, dead wrong. They were also the reason I lost the teaser of the week. I teased the Steelers up to plus eight and a half. I teased the Commanders down to minus one. Now, the Commanders teaser leg did hit. They, however, did not cover the minus seven. And this was another thing that... um. Has to be alarming for Commanders fans. Yes, they won the game, but outside of teams that suffered injuries, this is probably the worst win of week one. The Cardinals, by almost everybody, were projected to be the worst team in the league. Josh Dobbs at quarterback, and they're trading away guys like Isaiah Simmons right before the season starts. And uh, a lot of no-name guys on that team, and they still hung with the Commanders. And if it wasn't for a couple of turnovers late in that game, the Commanders easily could have lost this game and destroyed a lot of eliminator pools. Uh, the Commanders win the game. They don't cover the seven. Uh, there's a lot of concern in Washington. I, I can't imagine that 
anybody feels too good after watching them on Sunday. I gave out the Seahawks minus five and a half, and this was another big miss by me. I was really high on this Seahawks team, and they lose both starting tackles in that game. Geno Smith uh, did not look like the Geno Smith of last year. Tyler Lockett also leaving that game with an injury. I'm hoping they can bounce back because I do have a lot of future bets tied in with the Seahawks over their season win total. I do have a ticket on them to win the division after the way that the 49ers looked. I think I can throw that one in the garbage, but hopefully the Seahawks can at least bounce back, contend for a wild card, get over that season win total. Finally, I gave out the Bills minus two and a half. And when Aaron Rodgers went down, Zach Wilson comes into this game. I'm thinking, man, that's it. That's a lock. This bet's a win. I'm just tucking it away. I don't know what was going on with Josh Allen and his decision-making in this game. The Bills had every chance to just end this game. The Jets' offense couldn't do anything. They inexplicably come back and tie the game on the most ridiculous three-yard catch I've ever seen in my life. A absolutely horrid throw by Zach Wilson. He gets a touchdown on the stat sheet for it. Good for you. It was a terrible throw. He's throwing a back shoulder throw to Garrett Wilson. He throws it straight to the defender on the other side of his body. Garrett Wilson reaches across his body, tips the ball back to himself, calls it in for a touchdown. Then Josh Allen does the one thing that you cannot do. First play, next drive, tie game. Bill's trying to drive for a game-winning field goal. He fumbles the ball The Jets' offense couldn't move the ball. They were not going to move the ball in the field goal range, even if the Bills had punted there. He does the one thing you can't do. He fumbles the ball, gives the Jets the ball in field goal range. They kick a field goal. Now, the Bills do come down, doink a field goal to send it to overtime. When they went to overtime, I honestly thought that whoever won the toss should have chose to kick. If the Jets had won the toss, I really think they would have chosen to kick. But the Bills win that toss. They've gotten in the end zone one time all night. Why would you think that you can get into the end zone? And guess what happens if you kick? The Jets aren't going to go drive 75 yards and win the game. You know, the, at the very worst, they kick a field goal, and then at least you know what you need. I really thought the Bills should have chosen uh, to kick. As it is, they go to overtime. They go three and out. Punt return touchdown. And man, oh, man, what a crazy finish to that game. Zach Wilson gets a win, but he did not look good doing it. He ran backwards 40 yards on one play, trying to escape a pass rush just to to frantically throw the ball away. Let me tell you something right now. If he tries that against the Dallas Cowboys in week two, he is going to get obliterated. He's going to get sacked for a 25-yard loss. I cannot wait to bet the Dallas Cowboys next week. I think they are going to wipe the floor with Zach Wilson. Yes, that Jets defense scares me, but I think they're going to be on the field a lot. I expect the Cowboys to Control time of possession in that one. A lot of three and outs and turnovers uh, from Zach Wilson. But for now, good for the Jets. They get that win. The loss of Aaron Rodgers is absolutely devastating to the Jets, to the league. I was not very high on the Jets or Aaron Rodgers this year, but definitely did not want to see it end that way. So prayers to Aaron Rodgers for a speedy recovery and uh, hope to see him back in the league maybe next season. But like I said, uh, the prospects of a 40-year-old recovering from a torn Achilles uh not great, but if anybody can do it, uh, it is Aaron Rodgers. That is going to do it for where I got it wrong. We are going to take a quick break and come back and give out our picks for week two. All right, moving on to my picks for week two. And week two is one of my favorite weeks to bet in the NFL. Obviously, week one is probably the most fun just because you're getting back into it after so long with no football. But week two can be really profitable. You can make a lot of money just fading these overreactions to week one. 
overreacting to anything you saw the previous week is generally a bad idea. Doing it in week two is even worse because you're only going off of one game. There's no body of work that proves anything that you think you know uh, after week one. Just go back to last season. I mean, just look at my Dallas Cowboys. They looked abysmal in week one against Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They end up going 12-5 and five, uh, and having a pretty good season. The Cincinnati Bengals started 0-2 last year. and They start 0-1 again this year, but a rusty start, and it wasn't indicative of who those teams were that season. It was just week one. I mean, so many quarterbacks didn't play in the entire preseason so week one is essentially their warm-up that is their preseason so never overreact to what you saw the previous week especially uh, in week one instead of going through the time slots and going through the games I actually broke the games down into categories this week so we have overreaction games um, games that you have to bet on in order to watch because I think they're going to be pretty bad. And then we have sketchy line games, all, uh, games that I just think have lines that it kind of seems like the book is trying to uh, force you to go one way. And usually when that happens, uh, you should go the other. But we are going to start with the overreaction games because, like I said, that is where I think uh, you can make the most profit. And my first overreaction game is the Chiefs and the Jags. The Jags are a three-point underdog at home for this one, the over-under sitting at 51. Now, if Kadarius Tony catches that pass to put KC in field goal range late in that game and they win 23-21, to or if the pass doesn't bounce off his hands for the pick six and the Chiefs win this game, this line is probably five, five and a half. The fact that it's down to three, I'm all over the Chiefs in this one. I think this is just a huge overreaction to, oh, the Chiefs lost last week. They're not that good. They didn't have Chris Jones. They didn't have Travis Kelsey. And like I said, if the Chiefs wide receivers didn't have the hands made of stone, uh, the Chiefs are running away with that game. The, the, the drops just absolutely killed them, whether it was uh, that late drive to trying to get in the field goal range, the pick six, or the, even the fourth and 25, where everyone's like, what in the world are the Chiefs doing going, going for it? Mahomes puts the ball in his receiver's hands, and it still gets dropped. Uh, the theme of the overreaction games is going to be that nothing is ever as bad or as good as it looks in week one. And that is going to be the case here for these Chiefs wide receivers. Number one, Travis Kelsey may be back. Now, obviously, I know he's quote-unquote a tight end, but he's a pass catcher. So adding him back to the mix is just going to make everybody else a little more open, everyone else a little bit more at ease. And you're you're not going to see professional wide receivers just continue to drop passes left and right. This is something that they are working on and practice something that they're all aware of the entire national media is talking about it Chiefs fans feel terrible about it I promise you nobody feels as bad about it as those Chiefs wide receivers so it's something that they are working on for sure something Patrick Mahomes is drilling into those guys at practice I think the Chiefs bounce back here give me the Chiefs minus three look this Jags secondary is pretty bad if you Look at last week. They got beat, almost got beat by a one-man team. Now, you can sit here and say, oh, they won that game by 10 points. That was a game uh, down the stretch. The Colts had the lead late, and uh, the 10-point final, uh, the 10-point margin final, not uh, indicative of how close that game was. And the Colts were really just a one-man offense. Anthony Richardson did everything. He, he accounted for 263 of the 288 total yards created by the Colts. He was getting no help. Uh, 25 total yards uh, from the rest of the Colts rushing. 
outside of what Richardson did. And you could say, oh, well, maybe they weren't giving him the ball. I think uh, Deion Jackson had something like, like 19 carries. So it wasn't like they weren't trying to get somebody besides Anthony Richardson to do anything. It's just nobody else was able to do anything. And he still single-handedly in his first game as an NFL pro uh, was hanging with this Jacksonville Jaguars team. And that's because this secondary is just really not that good, not sold on this Jags defense. I think the Chiefs carved them up. Like I said, give me the Chiefs minus three. My second overreaction game is the Bears taking on the Bucks. The Bucks, a three-point favorite at home, the over-under sitting at 41. This Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense was bad. Uh, granted, they won the game, but their offense and their defense both greatly benefited from those three Kirk Cousins turnovers. If you look at the rushing game, they had zero carries over six yards. Baker Mayfield allowed just 5.1 yards per attempt. They had one explosive play the entire game. That was the 28-yard touchdown pass to Mike Evans. That was the result of a blown coverage uh, by the safety. And on the other side, this Bears defense was actually pretty good. They did give up some big plays to Aaron Jones out of the back, at like the passing game out of the backfield, but the Bucs don't have a guy like that. So they're going to be trying to run the ball in between the tackles like they did last week, and they were ineffective in doing so. When you look at this Bears defense, I know that they are much maligned, but just 27 running back carries for 82 yards against the Packers. If you do the math, it's just a little over three yards per carry. So I think the Bears are able to keep this Bucs offense bottled up. Um, I'm going to go back to that quote that I used uh, for the first game. Nothing is ever as good or as bad as it looks in week one. And I think that's going to apply to Justin Fields. I think he has a bounce back game. And the Bears, yes, the Bears cover this three. Give me the Bears plus three. Hey, maybe they even win their first game since October 24th of last year. It's been almost a full calendar year since the Bears have won a game. This is going to be one of the best chances they have to break that streak. Um, I'm not going to take them on the money line. I'm not getting that froggy. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game, so uh, those three points, pretty valuable. My third overreaction game is the Chargers and the Titans. The Titans, a three-point underdog at home, the over-under sitting at 45. And um, the Chargers played well enough to win against the darlings of the league, the Miami Dolphins, last week. Uh, it was an absolute shootout. The line was the same. The Chargers were a three-point favorite against that Dolphins team. Flash forward to next week, and they're the same three-point favorite against the Titans. Um, this Titans secondary got carved up by Derek Carr. They have a great run defense and a bad secondary. I told you that on the last podcast. I thought that that was going to lead to the over, and I was wrong in that scenario, but I do think that Kellen Moore and Justin Herbert are going to be able to spread this defense out and absolutely pick them apart. When you go to the other side of the ball, Ryan Tannehill was absolutely awful. Now, I know a lot of people are getting on this Chargers defense, but guess what? They're not going up against Tua Tagovailoa, Tyreek Hill, and Jalen Waddle this week. They're not going up against that dynamic offense. They're going up against this Titans offense that managed to put up 15 points last week. This Titans offense that, I mean, Ryan Tannehill was arguably the worst quarterback in the league last week, not named Zach Wilson. He was absolutely pitiful. Um, they clearly don't trust Ryan Tannehill anymore. They kicked a field goal down four to cut a lead to one last week against the Saints. Uh, they shouldn't have covered last week, by the way. They were they were three-point underdogs against the Saints. Uh, for some reason, decided to kick a field goal to cut the lead to one. Maybe the uh, somebody in the 
coaching staff must have uh, bet the team plus the points or something because that was a head-scratching decision. But I digress. I think, uh, look, if the Chargers win that game, this is probably a five- to six-point line. And the Chargers easily could have won that game. Like I said, they played well enough to win, but everyone's only focusing on the last drive. But guess what? This Chargers team was able to run the ball very well. I think they're going to be able to pass the ball very well against this weak Titan secondary. Give me the Chargers minus three. My fourth overreaction game is the Seahawks taking on the Lions. The Lions, a six-point favorite at home for this on the over-under, sitting at 47. And this is not an overreaction to, oh, the Lions got that win against the Chiefs. They were lucky to get it. They shouldn't be favored by six against the Seahawks. As high as I was on the Seahawks to start the season, I really think uh, I could have been wrong about them. Add to that, they lose both starting tackles to injury last week. Uh, They have... Tyler Lockett get banged up in that game as well. I think the overreaction here is the total in this game. And you might sit here and say, oh, 47, that's a pretty high total. But when you look at the last two games played between these teams, they had a 51 to 29 game to close out uh, the 2021 season. And they had a 48 to 45 shootout last year. Now that first game, okay, yeah, you know, that was Russell Wilson's last game. I think David Blau or somebody like that was playing quarterback for the Lions, so it doesn't really apply here. But that 48 to 45 shootout that they had last year definitely applies. I don't think either one of these defenses um, is as good as they were expecting to be. I think the overreaction here is to the Lions only allowing 20 points to the Kansas City Chiefs last week. The defense was not as good as that number would indicate. Uh, They still have holes in that secondary. Like I said, a lot of those stops were due to drop passes by the Chiefs and to the Chiefs not having Travis Kelsey. And yet again, nothing is ever as good or as bad as it looked in week one. That is going to apply to this Lions defense, and it's going to apply to Geno Smith. Geno Smith might not be comeback player of the year, you know, Pro Bowl quarterback that he was last year, but he is not the quarterback that we saw against the Rams either. And Sean McVay just has some kind of stranglehold over Pete Carroll where he just always wins these matchups. It's this weird rock, paper, scissors thing that goes on with the NFC West where Sean McVay always beats Pete Carroll. Uh, Kyle Shanahan always beats Sean McVay and Pete Carroll always beats Kyle Shanahan. It's just this weird rock, paper, scissors thing uh, that goes on with the NFC West team. So I'm not putting uh, too much stock into how bad the Seahawks offense looked, but I am going to put a little bit of stock in how bad their defense looked. Uh, They were a bad defense last year. Both of these defenses were bad defenses last year, and the Seahawks were thinking that they were an improved defense. They add Bobby Wagner. Uh, Their uh, their first-round draft pick, of course, was not able to play. That would have gone a long way uh, to improving this defense. We'll see if he's able to get back on the field for Week 2, Devin Witherspoon, but giving up 31 points to the Rams. Uh, The Lions only put up 21 points, but I think this Chiefs defense is a little better than people give it credit for. So I think there will be points scored in this one. Give me the over 47. If you go back to that game that they played last year, like I said, 93 points scored. That's almost double what this total is sitting at. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying that the total should be in the 60s or something crazy, but uh, I mean, something like the over-under for the Chiefs-Jags is sitting at 51, which is a key number. I think this could very easily be a... 
28 to 23 type of game. So give me the over 47 in this one. My final overreaction game is going to be the Browns taking on the Steelers. The Steelers, a two and a half point favorite at home in this one. And this is why I made this segment. This is why I wanted to do overreaction games. This is the biggest overreaction on the board. Um, the Steelers lose a have a really bad loss to the 49ers last year. The Browns have a blowout win against the Cincinnati Bengals. And yet again, nothing is ever as bad or as good as it looked in week one. That is going to apply to the Browns. It's going to apply to the Steelers, uh, particularly Kenny Pickett. There's no way he looks that bad. He was way, I, I know it's the preseason. We saw too many flashes. This guy definitely has something. And I think uh, this Steelers offense is going to pick it up a little bit. I know you could sit here and say, man, this Browns defense, I don't know. They dominated the Bengals offense and the Bengals offense is a lot better than the Steelers. Well, this Browns defense, we talked about matchups, uh, coaching matchups uh, in the in the last game as it applies to the NFC West. Uh, it applies here in the AFC North too. For whatever reason, the Browns just destroy this Bengals team every time they played them. They've won six out of the last seven. Miles Garrett uh, just eats against that Cincinnati Bengals offensive line. The Steelers offensive line is improved. Uh, they might not be able to stop Miles Garrett, but I think they can contain him uh, much better than the Cincinnati Bengals were able to add to that. Uh, we have yet to see Deshaun Watson play a good game as the Browns quarterback. He hasn't played a good game in over two years. Uh, add to that, the Steelers are 10-2 and following a 20-point loss since 2007. They are 14-7 and in home primetime games. I'm not going to count on Deshaun Watson to go in. After we haven't seen him play a good game in over two years, I'm not just going to count on him going into Pittsburgh in primetime and stopping both of those trends. Give me the Steelers plus two and a half. I give serious consideration uh, to teasing the Steelers to plus eight and a half, but uh, they burned me last week, and uh, I love the teaser of the week too much uh, to, to just go back to that well yet again. I do like them, but I'm not willing to risk the teaser of the week on them after they burned me so badly last year, but that is going to do it for the overreaction games. We're going to take a quick break and get to our next set of games. Welcome back. We move on to our next set of games, and these are sketchy line games. These are games where I feel like it kind of seems like the sports books are trying to trying to trick you into taking one team when you should actually take the other or taking one side of the total when you should actually take the other. And we are going to start uh, with the Thursday night football game kicking off tomorrow night, the Vikings taking on the Eagles. The Eagles were a seven point favorite uh, as of yesterday. As I'm recording this now, they are a six and a half point favorite uh, at home on Thursday for this one. The over under sitting at 48 and a half. And when you look at this Vikings uh, offense, they actually were moving the ball last week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They just kept turning the ball over three turnovers by Kirk Cousins. And on the other side, they really shut down this Bucks offense too. The Bucks just kind of dinked and dunked uh, their way down the field a couple of times. Uh, but they never had a run over six yards in that game. And Baker Mayfield, like I said, averages 5.1 yards per attempt. So I really think that this Vikings team uh, is better than, than they showed in that game against the Bucks. I think the Vikings will struggle just because it's prime time Kirk Cousins. And we've seen it time and time and time again. That 24-7 loss last year uh, to the Eagles where the Eagles defense just completely eviscerated Kirk Cousins. I think we see something like that yet again, but I cannot bring myself 
to take the Eagles. That line sitting at seven coming down to six and a half, it just really seems like they're begging you to tease the Eagles down. And it's making me think, man, it, it just it just doesn't feel right. I can't bring myself to do it. So I'm going to stay away from the side. I'm actually going to play the under 49. This Eagles offense kind of got shut down by the Patriots last week. And I kind of saw that coming. I told you that I really thought that Patriots defense was better than people were giving it credit for. And that proved to be true. In fact, if you take away uh, the two touchdowns that the Eagles scored off of turnovers, the Patriots easily could have won that game. And for the rest of the game, they really shut down this Eagles offense. Uh, after those after they fell behind 16 nothing thanks to the to the turnovers they only gave up three field goals for the rest of that game so uh this Eagles offense might not be what it was but this Eagles defense is still really really good uh they did not allow anything on the ground to Ramondre Stevenson and Zeke Elliott last week so I think both of these defenses are getting a little bit underrated and like I said last year in prime time they finished a game 24 to 7 well under this total that's sitting at 49 so give me the under 49 for the Vikings Eagles. My second sketchy line game is the Ravens taking on the Bengals in Cincinnati. The Bengals a three-point favorite at home for this one, the over-under, sitting at 46 and a half. And just a little background on the game, a desperate Bengals team trying not to go down to 0-2. Uh, 0-2 in the division, too. So starting out the season with two divisional losses, it'll be a long road to crawl back into the divisional race up if that were to happen. The Ravens win last week, but was it really a win when they lose J.K. Dobbins? Yet again, Ronnie Stanley goes down with an injury as well. Add to that, they already lost Marlon Humphrey in the preseason. So yet again, for the third year in a row, uh, this Ravens team just decimated with injuries. But the sketchy part of this line to me isn't the Bengals minus three. That kind of makes sense to me. I'm actually... I'm kind of proud of the books here for not overreacting too hard uh, to that Bengals' terrible loss against the Browns. Like I said in the last segment, the, the Browns just ha have a bad matchup against the Bengals. The Ravens don't have anywhere near uh, that kind of pass rush. But the sketchy part of this line to me is the 46 and a half. Uh, rarely do you see the public on unders. 70% uh, of the bets when I last checked were on the under 46 and a half in this one. And that's because the last three times these teams have played, the games have gone under. You hear Ravens and you think great defense, but I'm going to zag here. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to take the over 46 and a half. I think you see Joe Burrow bounce back here. Uh, like I said, the injuries in that Ravens secondary, I think you see Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow all bounce back. And on the other side, man, I really, really think Lamar Jackson has something here with Zay Flowers that he has never had. And I think Zay Flowers was the best receiver in this draft class. I didn't expect him to be this good right away. He made so many great plays in week one. He was kind of the lone bright spot for the Ravens. And I think that they already have great chemistry together. He's already a true number one receiver in this league. And I think you see this Ravens offense able to move the ball as well. A Bengals defense that lost Jesse Bates. So they're not as strong in the secondary as they used to be. I think you see a lot of points in this game. Give me the over 46 and a half. We're going to zag when everyone else is zigging and taking the under here. We're going to go over 46 and a half. And that's going to move us on to my third sketchy line game, the Commanders taking on the Broncos. The Broncos, a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home for this one, the over-under sitting at 39. And the sketchy part of this line is why in the hell are the Broncos favored against anybody? Uh, this dink-and-dunk offense last week, very limited. Russell Wilson, his numbers look fine, the QB rating, but he didn't take any risks. Uh, just a very vanilla passing game from him. Uh, just 16 points against a, a Las Vegas defense that is not very good. The commanders on the other side, a very 
good defense, I think, especially on that front four. Uh, that's probably why this total is so low, but uh, we're going to get to that. I don't think that it is low enough. Uh, when you go to the Broncos' two touchdown drives, they were both extended by third down pass interference penalties last week, and their only field goal drive was extended by a roughing the punter penalty. So, I'm going to go back to the well yet again. The sketchy part of this line to me is the Broncos minus three and a half, but I cannot touch it. Uh, This commander's team, it seems like the book's trying to get you to take the commander's plus three and a half here. I just can't do it. They didn't show me enough last week. I think Sam Howe is going to be a fine quarterback. Uh, I just think he has some kinks to work out of his game. I think he will get there, but I'm not counting on him getting there in week two against a really good Broncos defense. The one thing that I could count on that I've been thumping on this podcast uh, since last season. Just play the under in Broncos games. I know this total sitting very low at 39, but like I said, even the 16 points the Broncos scored last week, all three of those drives were extended by penalties. The commanders barely able to put up any points against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, granted, that was, you know, had a lot to do with them losing two fumbles, but their, their scoring drives were really set up by them, by them forcing turnovers. So it's really hard to say Either way, uh, what to make of this offense, but I think this Broncos defense is really good. I think this commander's defense is really good. I don't trust either offense. Give me the under 39. That is going to take us to the fourth sketchy line game, and that is the Saints taking on the Panthers. The Panthers, a three-point underdog at home for this one. The over-under sitting at 40, and Bryce Young had a rough debut, just 3.8 yards per attempt, a fumble that luckily for him, his team recovered, and two interceptions. Did not have a single pass play uh, that gained more than 15 yards, and that was on 38 attempts. The Panthers did run the ball pretty well, but when you go to the other side of the Saints, really held the Titans running game in check last week. So I think that they're going to be able to do the same thing to the Panthers here. They also made Ryan Tannehill look absolutely awful. Uh, Derek Carr looked solid in his Saints debut. Uh, They really should have covered the spread in that when they were up by four. I touched on this when I talked about the Titans and uh, the Titans kicking a field goal there. And then the the Saints, again, get in the scoring range and and then they run out the clock. So, you know, if they score on that last drive or the Titans don't explicitly kick a field goal. Uh, You're looking at the Saints covering there. So they should have covered last week. I think they're going to cover again this week. I know I just said this line is sketchy, but I thought about that. I considered it and I don't care. I think this Panthers team is really, really bad. As I've said multiple times, I'm really high on this Saints team. So even though it's sketchy, look, the books don't get all these right. Just because the line's sketchy doesn't mean that the books go 100% on these lines that they, it seems like they're trying to trick you into taking. Sometimes these plays win. I'm going to go with my gut here. Give me the Saints plus three. That is going to move us on to the final sketchy line game. And this one, I am not taking the bait. It is the Dolphins taking on the Patriots. The Patriots, a two and a half point underdog at home, the over-under sitting at 46 and a half. And I really thought this was going to be a game that would be in the overreaction section because I thought that the books were going to see the Dolphins last week. Jim was just going to assume that everybody was going to be ready to bet the Dolphins. They're going to set this line up to five, maybe six. That did not happen. This line sitting at two and a half right now. This is a very sharp line. I think it was a very smart play by the books, but the public is hammering the Dolphins in this one. They saw Tua Tagovailoa, they saw Tyreek Hill last week just decimate that Chargers defense, but 
they're not going to be able to do that to this Patriots defense. The Patriots played really well against the Eagles last week, well enough to win that game, especially on defense. They started out that game with a pick six and a Zeke fumble that led to a 16-0 score. They allowed three field goals the rest of the game. This defense is much more equipped to handle this high-powered Dolphins offense than the Chargers were. I think you see Zeke and Ramadre also able to run the ball. Uh, when you look at how the Chargers moved the ball against the Dolphins. It was on the ground. Uh, Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly, 32 carries for 208 yards. So Zeke Ramadre got bottled up by that stout Eagles front. They are not facing that with the Dolphins here. I think you see the Patriots keep the ball on the ground, keep this game close. I can't believe I'm saying this. Give me the Patriots, the ultimate zag, the Patriots plus two and a half. I also considered uh, using this game in the teaser of the week, but I already feel like I'm kind of going out on a limb. I don't want to be tied too heavily to this game. Uh, I love the way that Dolphins offense look. This is just kind of a zag play for me. So tying the teaser of the week, which I've already touched on, I care deeply about. Um, don't want to risk that going 0-2. Uh, that That is going to move us on to our third segment, and uh, this segment is just called Teaser of the Week. That is right. We are finally getting to it. The teaser of the week. I kept teasing the teaser of the week saying, oh, I thought about using it here and I didn't want to use it there. This is the game I'm using it on is the Packers taking on the Falcons. The Falcons, a one and a half point underdog at home, the over under sitting at 40 and a half. And this is a game that really didn't fit into any of the categories I had. It was, it's not an unwatchable game. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Both of these teams looking to go two and zero, And I think both of these teams could be fighting for a wild card spot in the NFC. I felt like it was a really sharp line. I, I didn't know which way to go with this game. Uh, you know, the Falcons plus one and a half seems like the right line. It doesn't seem fishy. It doesn't seem like an overreaction. I think the books nailed this one. Now, this is a matchup of arguably the two best running back duos in the NFL. Both teams kind of coming into the season with questions at quarterback, both of them having good rosters, just questions at quarterback. I think uh, Jordan Love did a little bit better job of answering those questions in week one than Desmond Ritter did, but the book is still on written for both of these guys. This Falcons run game, man, oh man, is it good. And I think it's going to be the better run game in this matchup. A.J. Dillon looked ineffective. Aaron Jones uh, was effective catching passes out of the backfield, but he didn't really run the ball uh, that effectively against the Bears either. And he's got a hamstring injury. He hasn't practiced yet this week, so it could be A.J. Dillon by himself in this backfield. So like I said, I I like the Packers QB situation better. I like that uh, Jordan Love better than Desmond Ritter, but I think this Falcons run game, they're going to be able to lean on it. Um, If you twist my arm, make me pick a side, I guess I would take the Falcons plus that one and a half, but we're going to tease them here uh, plus the six. Like I said, first game of the teaser of the week, teasing this through the three, through the seven, getting a seven and a half here so you can lose by a touchdown. You still catch this teaser leg. Uh, my play for the game itself is going to be the under 40 and a half. I think both teams keep the ball on the ground. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. This Falcons defense much in Prove this Packers defense has been good for a while. So I think you see this as a 20 to 17 type of game. Um, like I said, if you twist my arm, make me pick a side, I'll say that it's going to be the Falcons. That is going to move us on to our second leg of the teaser of the week the 49ers taking on the Rams the Rams a eight and a half point underdog at home for this one the over under 44 and a half and I touched on the Shanahan McVay rivalry Shanahan nine and three against McVay he's won eight straight regular season matchups 
against Sean McVay. Didn't believe that when I saw it eight straight times. So four straight years, the Rams have not beaten the 49ers, except for the matchup that really, really mattered, the NFC Championship game. I'm sure uh, Sean McVay is happy to have that feather in his cap. He has the one thing that Shanahan doesn't have, and that is a Super Bowl ring. I keep fading this 49ers team and Brock Purdy. I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, I'm going to take them plus eight and a half here. Don't really like it. I think Brock Purdy, I still don't think Brock Purdy's that good. He doesn't put a lot of zip on his throws. He does what he has to do uh, with these great skill players. He gets the ball in their hands. I think eventually it's going to rear its ugly head. And I I don't think you're going to see this 49ers team able to win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy, but they are a good team. They are a good regular season team. They have a lot of great skill players in the Rams, uh, have a decimated roster after trading in so many trade chips uh, to get that Super Bowl roster from two years ago. So I'll take the 49ers plus eight and a half. Like I said, I don't feel great about it, but I do feel great about them as my second leg of the teaser of the week, teasing this down from plus eight and a half through the key numbers of seven and three, as we like to do getting this down to two and a half. So the 49ers win by a field goal. And the Falcons win or lose by less than a touchdown. Uh, You are cashing this teaser of the week. So like I said, the teaser of the week, we are teasing the Falcons to plus 7.5, teasing the 49ers to minus 2.5. The teaser of the week looking to get back on track after starting out the season 0-1. That is going to do it for the teaser of the week segment. We are going to take a quick break and come back and uh, talk about some games that might not be worth watching unless you bet. Moving on to our last segment, it is bet so you have a reason to watch this game. And just as a sign of good faith, uh, I put my own team in this category just because I think that they have a great matchup this week. Uh, Obviously, we're going to spend a little bit less time breaking down these games than we did the other ones. Uh, This section is going to start with the Raiders taking on the Bills. The Bills, nine and a half point favorite at home for this one. The over-under sitting at 47. And I'm going to go back to what I said uh, in the overreaction segment of this podcast. Nothing is ever as bad as it looked in week one. That's going to apply to Josh Allen here. Josh Allen are arguably the worst game of his career. Now, you could sit here and say the Bills are playing on short rest after an emotional overtime loss on Monday Night Football, but I'm going to go the other way here. I think this is going to be a Bills team that is motivated not to go down 0-2. They know they have a loaded Miami Dolphins team in their division. They also have a pretty good a New England Patriots team, and a Jets team for whatever you want to say. If they trade for a quarterback, we'll get to them uh, in the next game we talk about. But uh, Zach Wilson might not be able to take this team to the playoffs, but there might be a quarterback out there who possibly could. Uh, the Bills know they have to come out here and win this game. The Raiders are a bad team. It's the home opener for the Bills. I think the Bills come out like a house on fire. They win this game going away. Give me the Bills minus nine and a half. The second bet so you have a reason to watch game is the New York Jets taking on my Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys a nine and a half point favorite. The over-under sitting at 39. And this line is climbing and climbing and climbing. Uh, before the Monday Night Football game kicked off, the line was sitting at Cowboys minus three. Right after the game when it was announced that Aaron Rodgers had torn his Achilles, it was sitting at Cowboys minus 7.5. It is now all the way up to the Dallas Cowboys minus 9.5. And And I think this Cowboys defense is going to make a mincemeat of Zach Wilson. He has absolutely no confidence. He looks afraid in the pocket. You could see it on Monday Night Football. He was running backwards 30 yards sometimes and then like barely escaping to throw the ball away. Guess what? That's not going to work against the Cowboys. Um... I think the locker room is disappointed that he's out there. And I think that he knows that this guy has absolutely no confidence, has no business 
being a starting quarterback in the NFL. When you look at the touch, even the touchdown pass that he threw, it was supposed to be a back shoulder throw. He leads it too far inside. It should have got intercepted, and Garrett Wilson makes a phenomenal play on it, and the, the Jets end up inexplicably winning the game. If you want to see how little confidence the New York Jets have in Zach Wilson, uh, the end of that game, uh, they're ticking down towards the two-minute warning. There's a third down, and the Jets can throw the football and pick up a first down. If they pick up a first down, the game is over before overtime. They can milk the clock down, kick the field goal, game over. They still choose to just run into the teeth of the Bills' defense. Zach Wilson had one-on-one coverage wherever he wanted it. If he had any confidence, he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm audible in this. I'm, you know, I'm throwing a ball up to Garrett Wilson. We're winning this game. No confidence in this guy. He is not a good quarterback. They really need to trade for somebody. Um, since I don't have a lot to say about this game, Cowboys minus nine and a half. Let's talk about some guys the Jets could possibly target. I've heard Carson Wentz's name floated out there. I've heard Jameis Winston's name floated out there. I've heard Jacoby, they could possibly trade for Jacoby Brissett. I want to see Garner Minshew on the New York Jets. Don't want to see it this week. I, I, I want to see Zach Wilson for my Cowboys. I want to see Garner Minshew take over this Jets team. I really think I would be, I would become an honorary Jets fan, uh, and, you know, unless they happen to, you know, play inexplicably play the Cowboys again in the Super Bowl. I'd become a Jets fan for the rest of the season if they sign Garner Minshew. I love that guy. He is nothing but swagger. He would be just like Jim McMahon on the 85 Bears. You got that that quarterback with swagger that inspires confidence in his team. He might not be that good, but he inspires confidence. The team knows that they can count on him. He's not going to let them down. And I I think Gardner Minshew is the perfect fit here uh, with the New York Jets. Um, I'm going to digress and move on to making my picks, but I've been all over Twitter with that. I really want to see this happen. Just trying to speak it into existence. Uh, The second, excuse me, the third Bet this game so you have a reason to watch it game is the Colts taking on the Texans. The Texans, a one and a half point underdog at home, the over under sitting at 39 and a half. And Anthony Richardson was the Colts only bright spot last week. On the other side, CJ Stroud was unimpressive in his debut. Um, this, these are two young QBs that are going to be prone to turnovers. You have a veteran Colts defense. You have Will Anderson and D'Amico Ryans, the D, the, uh, head coach on the other side for the Texans. I think you're going to see a lot of turnovers in this game. I think it's going to lead to short fields. I also think you're going to see both quarterbacks kind of pressing a little bit, kind of want to, kind of wanting to show out against each other. You know, CJ Stroud went two picks ahead of Anthony Richardson. I'm sure Anthony Richardson thinks he should have been the second pick in the draft. And after week one, I think there's a lot of people thinking that as well. So I think both teams are going to be pressing. I think it's going to lead to a lot of points. I think it's going to lead to a lot of turnovers. Give me the over. 39 and a half here. The fourth game of this segment is the Giants taking on the Cardinals and PU. This is the most unwatchable game of the week. Yes, Colts, Texans, you know, there might not be that much talent, but you're still getting two rookie quarterbacks going at it. Uh, The Jets, Cowboys, it might be a blowout, but man, both of those defenses are good. Uh, With the Raiders and the Bills, at least you get to see Josh Jacobs, Josh Allen, uh, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs. What are you looking for in this in this Giants Cardinals game? Oh my goodness! Uh, the Cardinals, a five and a half point underdog at home. The over under sitting at forty. Like I said, the most unwatchable game of the week. It's Josh Dobbs versus Daniel Jones. There's no way Daniel Jones could possibly be as bad as he was last week. Turnovers absolutely killed this Cowboys team. On the other side, turnovers are the only reason 
that the Cardinals were able to keep that game close against the Commanders. Um, I'm going to take the Giants minus five and a half here. I almost put this in the overreactions just because I feel like the Cardinals should be giving a touchdown to anybody that they play. This Cardinals team is just really bad, and the Giants are well coached, and they do have some talented players, Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones. You know, I know he looked really bad last week. He's better than Josh Dobbs. You at least have to give him that. So I think the Giants do come out win this game by at least a touchdown. So give me the Giants minus five and a half. And that is the final game. I saved it for last because uh, I think it's, like I said, going to be the most unwatchable game of the week. But that is going to do it for my picks. And that is going to do it for my podcast. Just to recap my picks. I like the Chiefs minus three, the Bears plus three, the Chargers minus three, the over 47 in the Seahawks-Lions game, the Steelers plus two and a half. I like the under 49 in the Vikings-Eagles game. I like the over 46 in the Ravens-Bengals game. I like the under 39 in Commanders-Broncos. I like the Saints minus three against the Panthers. I like the Patriots plus two and a half against the Dolphins. That is my zag play of the week. The teaser of the week is going to be to tease the Falcons from plus one and a half to plus seven and a half and tease the 49ers from minus eight and a half to minus two and a half. In those games, we also like the 49ers minus eight and a half and the under 40 and a half in Packers Falcons. I like the Bills minus nine and a half against the Raiders. The Cowboys minus nine and a half against the Jets. The over 39 and a half in Colts Texans. And finally, I like the Giants minus five and a half against the lowly Arizona Cardinals. That is going to do it for the podcast. Thank you for listening and I will see you guys next week.